if you can't say something nice. You suck, you jackass. You don't say. You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Don't say nothing at all. This is Outside Voice, where a Generation Xer tries to figure out what has happened to the world around him. Hey, it's Friday. We finally made it through another week. How does that feel? Feels pretty damn good, don't it? I'm Chris Wittkugel, and welcome to the inaugural edition of the podcast. It's Friday, October 27th, 2017. It's been kind of an interesting week. Uh, the World Series is going on. Are you watching this thing? I mean, we're only two games into it. Game three is later on tonight. But uh, the first game, you know, is boring. And, and it's boring because, you know, my Cincinnati Reds, they didn't make it. They didn't have a chance. You know, we knew, you know, months and months ago they weren't going to make it. So, you know, my backup team, you know, an American League team, the Indians, the tribe there, no, they didn't make it either. So, you know, I'm kind of rooting for the Astros here. But, um, you know, I, I got nothing invested in either one of these teams. You know, I, I know very few of the players, uh, the players that I do know. It's just because, you know, they're on my fantasy teams or whatever. So it, it, it is kind of boring, especially game one. That, that you know, that, that score was terrible. Now, game two... And, you know, it's a little more exciting. You know, they, you know, Houston really, really had to win that one, and and, and they did, they did, um, in in a good fashion. It was it was an interesting game. I didn't watch it live, unfortunately. I was busy, but I did watch the replay, even though I knew the score. But you know, it is what it is. Um, I do have to say though that uh, having Joe Buck on there, it, he's just he's terrible. I mean, like, you know, he doesn't add anything to the experience at all. He just repeats exactly what he sees, which is great for the radio. But if I'm watching on TV, I don't need him to tell me what I just saw. You know, I want to kind of hear his opinion about what happened. You know, like, you know, for instance, he missed the opportunity to spice up the broadcast a little bit by calling out what I thought was some major inconsistency on the umpire's part. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, the game was rigged. I'm not saying that he was biased. I'm just saying that his strike zone seemed to move around depending on who was at the plate. Um, back-to-back pitches, he would make the opposite call of what they really were. You know, a, a, an obvious ball was getting called a strike. And, and the, where Jose Altuve, I mean, the, the ball practically hit the dirt behind home plate. And he gets rung up, struck out, looking. You know, it should have been a walk, but... You know, that's just my opinion, and I think that Joe Buck could have done something there to, you know, maybe make it a little more interesting by calling that out. I mean, even Gruden got upset the other day on Monday Night Football about the penalty flags being thrown. He commented on it. He brought it up. I mean, you know, this is, you know, that that's something you really don't hear at, at that level of football is commentators ragging on the officials a little bit, but he did it. So, you know, maybe I'm just spoiled by the local coverage of the Reds around here because, man, if they see a call that they don't like, they will tell you, and they will tell you why. Um, they're not trying to take anything away from the officials, but, you know, they're just, they're just making the game interesting because, you know, like Bob Euchre said, 
I think it was Bob Uecker. Somebody, somebody said that, you know, in order to make the game interesting, you, you've got to drink. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what we all do as baseball fans, I suppose. Then the other thing about the World Series, and I, I know people have talked about this before, but, you know, it's the World Series, so, you know, they're the world champions, whoever wins. I mean, come on, they're not the world champions. Have you ever watched the World Baseball, World Baseball Classic? You know, it happens every four years. You know, these uh, other countries put together amazing teams, and the USA very rarely wins. I mean, they won this year, but they very rarely win this thing. So to call them world champions, I, I you know, I just got to laugh. But I will admit they are the best baseball team in North America as as far as winning the World Series goes. And so, you know, go Astros. Something else that happened this week, you know, there's more of a, you know, on a completely different thread here, but uh, I, I got the game Cuphead. Have you seen this game? It is amazing. It's beautiful. It's a video game, and it's all hand-drawn. Everything is hand-drawn, and it's drawn in the style of 30s, 1930s Disney animation, and, you know, the sounds that go with it and everything. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing, and I'm here to tell you this game is super freaking hard. But on, it's also super freaking fun too. I mean, it's, it's a platform side scrolling shooter type game. You play a character called a cuphead who's just a little guy with a cup for a head. And then there's another character for two player mode, that, that little guy called Mugman. And the idea of the game is, is they're in a casino and, you know, they're rolling good. But then all of a sudden here comes the devil because he happens to own the casino, makes a bet with them. Sure enough, they lose their souls. But they don't want to pay up. Nobody ever wants to pay up. You make a deal with the devil, you know you're going to lose. You know? Why do you do it? But they did it. So, the to get out of it, maybe get out of it, he sends them off on an errand to uh, collect other people's souls. Now, think about the logic behind that. I won't take your soul if you go get these other souls. So, what happens to the next guy that tries to renege on his bet with the devil? He's coming for your soul, right? Right, you know? It's just a big, big vicious circle but the game was brought to my attention on uh, twitter because i noticed uh, one of these social justice warrior types saying that even the game though the game looks amazing they're not going to play it because 1930s animation was so racist okay now this is not 1930s animation it, it, it's, it was drawn now it's contemporary there's absolutely nothing racist about the game whatsoever there aren't I haven't even seen any people in it to be racist you know I mean it's all anthropomorphic animals and vegetables and things like that you know so racism it, that's just insane why why do you got to look for racism everywhere you know why do you got to look for injustice everywhere it's just a friggin video game just you know just play it and have fun. Maybe maybe it's too hard for you. Maybe, maybe that's why you don't want to play it, and you want to uh, say that uh, you've got this higher reason for not playing. But just maybe it's just the simple fact that you suck at video games, right? <laughs> um, the the game I got it on Xbox One. It was like twenty bucks. Uh, it was like eleven gigabytes, a little larger than I expected it to be. But you know, bought it a few a few hours later after it downloaded and played it. I'm loving it. I've got I'm about an hour and a half into it. And I'm like 6% done according to the statistics. So, um, there, there, it might last a while. I will, we'll see. Um, it's also on Steam for your PC, but you can't get it for like your tablet or Xbox or, or yeah, you can get it for Xbox, but not for like iPod and, you know, Android and Google and stuff like that. 
Now, another thing this week, um, the Orville. Do you, are you guys watching this show? It's uh, Seth MacFarlane's version of Star Trek. I mean, it, it's it's amazing. I I I, I thought that you know, we were going to get another Family Guy type show, but it, it's not. I mean, this show is great. It pays homage to Star Trek. It's humble about it. But it tells the story with more of a Generation X cynicism toward, you know, contemporary pop culture and the attitudes today. Uh, you know, remember the 60s, the Star Trek, you know, it was all optimistic and, you know, hey, you know, let's give socialism a chance. And, you know, it's, that's the way it's going to be and everything's going to be great and everybody's going to be equal. And, well, we see with Seth MacFarlane's version of it that, you know, especially this, this episode from Thursday night was great. Um, because it was about what what's going on in this country right now with the uh, the social justice. They, the, I don't want to give too much of the plot away in case you haven't watched it, but it was basically there was the justice system was people wear these little badges on their shirt, and if you someone likes you, they give you they push a button and you get an upvote. If they don't like you, you get a downvote, and if you get so many downvotes, you get lobotomized. Because that gets rid of, you know, bad thinking, bad thought. You know, that's that's the thought police. And, you know, I'm not saying that it was a genius episode. It was well written. And it was a a good and insightful example of what can happen in an unstructured democracy uh, for people that's never really thought about it. You know, well, I want democracy. I want democracy. Well, with democracy, you get mob rule. Um, and, and, you know, I don't want to get too political about this. Um, but that, you know, that's just what I saw with it. It's a great show. If you haven't watched it, um, you know, get on demand and check it out. Watch the previous episodes. It's, if you like Star Trek, if you like comedy, uh, and it's, and it's also a good, well-written show. I mean, the, the stories and the drama are there. It's, it's very good. So, um, take it from me. I, I, I love it. I'm going to take a little break here and, uh, then I'll be back with, the main topic that I want to talk about today, I, uh, the uh, sexual assault culture that they have out in Hollywood, um, I call it the abuse factory, and we're going to examine that after this short break. So you say you want to get your face in the movies? Well, tell you what, babe, you got the face that belongs in the movies, and I can help you get there. My name is Pervy Wienerstein, and I've got my very own casting agency, and I want to help you get into Hollywood today. All you got to do, it's real simple. Just bring your headshots, your pretty little head. Come on over to my bungalow, hang out for a little bit. You can watch me take a bath. Maybe we'll water the plants. I'll give you a little back rub. You know, we'll see where it goes. You play your cards right, you could be the next big star in Hollywood, and I can help you get there. That's all I'm saying. Come on over and see me, Pervy Wienerstein, at my casting agency. Okay, wow, yeah. Maybe a month ago, that might have been funny, right? But... After what's happened recently, it's not funny. It's just it's just a bad taste. It's real cringy, right? But that's that's my whole point. Is we've all known that this stuff has been going on in Hollywood since the beginning of Hollywood. I mean, really, how how can we pretend that we don't know these things? We we've joked about it for years. Everyone has joked about it for years. The casting couch, we all know about it. We all know what it is. I mean, books have been written about it. There are 
comedy sketches about it. I mean, it, it's it's a thing. It's 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 well known. So I don't understand why all of a sudden everybody's surprised when they find out that Harvey Weinstein is abusing women to get roles. I mean, we knew what was going on. Maybe not with him specifically, but we knew. Is it is it the fact that it's happening, or is it the scope of this one man's crimes? I mean, he's if he's guilty of half the things that he's been accused of, he's got some serious problems, and he really, really needs some therapeutic help. Um, you know, I I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it, but you know, a potted plant. Come on, really? You know, and and if you ask anyone, I'm sure if you would have asked anyone a month ago, if you know, hey, do you know? Hollywood producers ask for sexual favors in exchange for parts. I'm sure that almost everyone would say, well, yeah, I, I've got no proof of it, but yeah, I'm sure they do. And, and it's, I think it's this almost forgiving opinion that people have had that has allowed this problem to continue because it's, it didn't really expose the problem as a problem. It, it just exposed it as a novelty, maybe, as, you know, just something to laugh off because it's not happening to us. It's only happening to a select group of people. That's just wrong. Wrong. Now, if we go back to the very beginning of Hollywood, you know, back in the early days, there weren't a whole lot of women in the workforce. You know, so they were something of a novelty. But these women, these actresses that were coming to Hollywood, I, I wouldn't really say that they were in the workforce the way we think of it now. But there's no question that there was sexism back then. And it was a non-issue. That's just the way things worked. And men and women operated within the system. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not defending that system by any means. I'm just saying that that was the system that everybody lived in. And they found their own way to get around. Now, you know, I don't think men knew how to treat women in the workplace back then. Because there were so few working women. And along those same lines, I'm sure that women had a hard time of knowing how they should act in a workplace, but I'm sure that they knew for sure how they would be treated. Now, we're talking about Hollywood, so this, you know, this isn't like a factory or an office setting. This, this is Hollywood. This is a completely different creature. Now, a lot of these new movie makers, they, they didn't come from the theater. You know, they weren't familiar with how to relate with actors. They, and the few that did come from the theater didn't know how to work with non-actors because a lot of these people coming to Hollywood were non-actors. So if we look at the theater aspect, we go back a little further, you know, a, a large percentage of, of actors were women. And, and this probably means that they had a lot more respect from their male counterparts as, say, women in an office or women in a factory. You know, the few women that did work in factories at the time. And, and these women in, from the theater, they were, familiar, they were familiar with how the casting process should work. And I'm sure a lot of them were a lot more financially independent than the average woman at the time. And they didn't have to rely on getting every part to pay the bills. So they didn't have to perform favors to, uh, to get parts. I'm sure that that went on. I mean, that goes, that, that goes on to this day in a lot of other different industries. But it seems like it's really, really rampant in, in, in the movie industry just because of this fact that nobody seemed to give shit. Now, as far as women actors, a lot of these men coming to Hollywood to produce movies, they're really their only, um, exposure to uh, theater might have been burlesque shows, you know, and those things just promoted the objectification of women. A lot of these guys is probably the only theater that they had ever been to. And they just didn't understand that it was a show, you know, or if they did understand, maybe they hoped that there was something more 
behind that, but it was just a show. You know, it's like it's like going to a strip club. You know what the girls are doing there. You know they. You know they don't really like you when you go. They just want your money, and that, and that's what it was like with the burlesque show. They they just they were doing it for the money, but that dehumanizes them. And, and when you dehumanize someone, it's hard to see them as an individual, you know, when you dehumanize an entire group. And this entire group that had been dehumanized by this process were women actors. So when you did encounter a single female actor, you, it was harder to view her as a human. You just, you, you thought her as, as, you know, the girl that was up on stage, you know, running around in her corset or whatever. Now, you know, a lot of men, they didn't realize that these women coming from the theater were actually in charge of their sexuality. It was that, that was a totally different um, time from what we have today. And they, I'm sure they thought that they could control these women the way they controlled the, the women at home. But then when they become familiar with the idea that, you know, there are a lot of women that will, you know, perform sexually, not necessarily as a favor, but are more open to, you know, promiscuity. And I'm not judging. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But for these guys that may have not been exposed to that, um, it would have been easy for them to assume that all female actors were this way. We have a lot of anecdotal evidence to say that women in the theater were more sexually, were more sexually independent than other women. Uh, were they? I, I don't know, but it seems like that's the trope. You know, so once film industry started, young women and girls with no theater experience at all wanted to break into acting. So they go out west and they go to Hollywood. You know, they maybe they were in their high school play, you know, or something like that. They didn't really know what was going on. So they, they go out there and they have no acting experience. So they feel pressured to do what they need to do to get these roles. And they're asking for these roles from men you know, who, who have tons of money. They already, a lot of these guys already had their fortunes. They were just trying to branch out, you know, and you know, when you have a lot of money, when you have a lot of power, you have this sense of self grandeur. So, uh, when, when you have these possibly timid young ladies coming to these powerful, grandiose men asking for favors, well, it's very easy to imagine that the man would ask for a favor back. You know, and a lot of these guys, they were already used to getting their way with the women because of their money and their power. You know, so it, it, it was just an obvious step for them to take. Yeah, sure. You know, I'll put you in my movie. You know, just, you know, we'll do this. So, you know, I'm sure that the practice had been going on before Hollywood that, you know, on the local level, um, you know, actresses were, you know, sleeping with directors and producers to get parts. Um, but I'm sure that they were a lot less naive about it. And they were more than, you know, they were more willing to participate in the quid pro quo. You know, I'm not sure about that, but, and I'm not saying all of them, but it seems like that would be a possibility. So you've got this sudden influx of new girls and it, and then it's creating a highly competitive job market. And this job market, you know, the competition here is favoring the studios and the executives. They just exploited this market by preying on the naivety of, of many of these girls. You know, these men were already in positions of power. They were already corrupted by their wealth. You know, and those who weren't already wealthy were corrupted by the temptations of having all these starlets around and they see these powerful guys making these promises and you know, they start making them promises too. And you know, these naive young girls, they have no idea that these guys can't, uh, can't fulfill their end of the promise. So what started out at best you know, this quid pro quo. At best, it was a system of mutual and voluntary exchange. And, you know, when all this money and power 
and outsiders came into it, you know, it just it degenerated into this one-sided, exploitive flesh factory that just was just sating the lusts of, of these hungry men who answered to no one. Now, you know, to this point, I've been talking about this as if this only happened to young women, and that is because that was the prevalent situation. But there is another side to this. You know, young men were preyed upon by the execs, too. But this has been much less talked about just because of the taboo on homosexuality that this country's had up until recently. I mean, do you remember when Rock Hudson, when we found out that he was homosexual? You know, we found out because he had AIDS. Why? It's terrible that, that we went through that part of our history. You know, so th this isn't a man or a woman thing. And it's not just a man thing. It's about power. It's about exploiting the weaker people you know it doesn't really matter the sex that you are it doesn't really matter their sex you know now at the time this male dominance may have been created as a result result of sexism but you know that wasn't the only factor you know after all not all execs were men and not all men's men were executives it takes a certain kind of personality to pursue pursue that goal and both sexes can have that personality type because we see female executives today you know, they might not have been as prevalent back then just because of this sexism. But those that are attracted to financial power are most likely attracted to other types of power. And, and when you can keep people enthralled with you, when you can make them promises and they'll do things for you, that is power. That is real power. And man, does it feel good. I'm sure that it feels good. Now, you know, a lot of these people, they've got these disassociative relationships, you know. They're unable to relate to the people, but they desire this contact. And, and they don't know how to go about it. And, and you know, that can end up leading into these abusive patterns. And, and, and a lot of them, you know, they're not able to recognize that submission is not the same thing as consent. And, and, and it never has been. You know, just because you submit does not mean you consent. Because your submission just may be, you know, choosing the lesser of two evils. There should be a third option. No evil at all. You know, and, and some people, they just like the feeling of conquest. You know, this often replaces control that they lack elsewhere, you know, such as the uncertainty of their wealth when they're speculating on a new movie. You know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, they've got pressure from all sides, from all the investors, you know. Their things are not in their control, but this one thing is in their control. This one thing is in their control. And, you know, sometimes they might, you know, they might have an emotional void that they need to fill. And, you know, that, that goes on a lot other places, not just in the movie industry. You know, and, you know, there's the possibility that, you know, some of these people were victims themselves at some point, And they just thought that's how it worked. So they move on, get the power, and continue the victimization. Then there's other people that just, they just, just like collecting things. Which, is, you know, this is similar to conquest, you know, because it exhibits a, a desire for control. And it, and it could represent, you know, some sort of previous instability in their life back maybe when they didn't have money or when, you know, they weren't happy with a certain relationship. It, it could be anything. And then some people, they, they just get a rush from breaking rules, you know, especially moral rules. You know, for some people, the idea of being secretly bad is appealing. You know, once a moral is broken, it becomes easier, you know. I've always said, you know, breaking windows and eating potato chips and breaking rules, they all get easier the deeper you get into it. And you can't stop until they're all, all smashed. And further the, down the path one goes, the harder it is to get the rush of the first time. 
So they've got to keep doing more and more and more. And that's where we see with this recent thing, you know, he just, he didn't stop. You know, if, if what, is, what is being said is true, he just, he just never stops. But a lot of these people, they, they would have been predators no matter what. You know, the wealth and power just exaggerate the reach of their depravity. You know, many of them, uh, many people perpetuate cycles of abuse regardless of their social station. I mean, we see it all the time on the news. This is a matter of mental health. It, it boils down, this is a matter of mental health. Some people are not equipped to deal with having power. They're just not. You know, but on the other side of that, you know, some people are just easily manipulated. Now, don't get me wrong. The blame here lies solely on the abuser. If you're being manipulated, that is not your fault. Someone has taken advantage of you, and you cannot let that onus rest on your shoulders because the abuser knows that they can always find new victims. So if it's not you, it's just going to be someone else. That's the way they see it. You know, and a lot of times, victims, they, they might not even realize they're victims. They might say, well, that's just how it's done, like I was talking about earlier with, you know, working into the system of uh, the quid pro quo. And I suppose that sometimes these abusers might not even realize that they are abusers. You know, there might have been some sort of breakdown in their parenting in their childhood where, you know, they were abused and they think, well, that's just how things work. And, and, and then, the, you know, with the victims submitting to them time and time again, you know, eventually it might be easy to just say, you know, what I'm doing is probably okay because everybody's letting me do it. You know, society knows. They make jokes about it and they're letting me do it. Now, I don't want to take the blame away from the abuser because that's where the blame rests solely right there. But they are helped by other people. And these other people profit more from the abuse than the abusers themselves. I'm going to take a short break and when I come back, I'll tell you who I think those bastards are. Next time on Catching Predators. Hey, you in there? Hey, we were supposed to meet. Where you at? Hello? Let me in. Let me in. Hey, I was supposed to get you into the movies. Where you at? Let me in. Excuse me, sir. Is there something that I can help you with? Yeah, I'm supposed to meet this hot little girl here. She said that she wanted to be in the movies and I was coming to help her out. Yeah, well, that uh, girl that you're supposed to meet doesn't really exist. This is a sting operation. We're here catching sexual predators. And you showed up with a bag full of goodies. What you got in the bag there? Yeah, you know, she said she needed this part, so I brought her this part. You know, it's in the bag. We're going to have to ask you to go with these policemen right here so that they can take you in. Hey, 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 now, I don't want any trouble here, no. You know, hey, uh, what what can I do to make this go away? I got, I got, you know, a lot of lettuce here in my wallet. You know, maybe you reach your hand in there and take some out, you know? Well, I, how much exactly is in there? Well, you know, probably enough to buy you a new car, something like that. You need a new car? Well, yeah, yeah, I need a new, yeah, I need a new car. Well, go ahead, reach in there and take out what you need. We'll forget about this whole thing, all right? Uh, yeah, sure. O okay, cut, guys. Quit rolling. Cut, cut. And I'm back. Boy, those things just keep getting cringier and cringier, don't they? Wow, but there is a point to be made there. 
didn't do that just to be funny or in bad taste. There is a point. And the point is this. The people who profit the most from this cycle of abuse were the people that knew it was going on, the people that saw it going on, and let it continue. Now think about it. They did, the abusers were the one taking the risks, and it wasn't about the money. They were going to make the money of whether they did the abuse or not. They were going to have somebody in the movie. They could have just gave the part to those girls or those boys, and the movie would have been great. They, they didn't have to do the things they did. They gained absolutely nothing. Abuse is always a zero-sum equation. Whatever you put into it, that's, it gets taken out. You can never, ever get ahead. And of course, you know, these victims, they were exploited. They lost a part of themselves that nothing can ever replace. You know, and sometimes that money only serves to feed the demons that the abuse may have created. You know, it was the onlookers, the people who knew, who sold their souls and reaped the rewards of being silent. Every, every one of them took money and they allowed the victimization to continue and every cent of that money is blood money. And if any of them are listening to me right now, which is highly doubtful, but if you are, you are a terrible, garbage human being. You don't deserve any happiness in your life because your actions, your actions or your inaction has taken away other people's freedoms. Other people's sense of self-worth. You are terrible. Terrible. And you may not be guilty of the abuse, but you are just as complicit as the abusers themselves. Well, I think that's going to do it for me today. I'm going to wrap up here. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed doing it. Um, I will try to be back next week with a whole new topic and new talking points about pop culture. Uh, any little interesting things that may have happened, I'm probably going to talk about. Uh, if you want, go ahead and head over to my webpage, www.witkugel.com, and leave me a comment, or you can leave me a comment on Facebook. Um, just tell me what you think. You, do you agree? Do you disagree? Things you might want to hear me talk about? Just anything. I'm, I'm open. This is totally brand new. Um, I need content ideas, guys. Seriously, I need content ideas. Please help me. <laughs> I'm Chris Whitkugel, and I will catch you all later. If you can't say something nice, you suck, you jackass. You don't say. You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Don't say nothing at all. This is Outside Voice, where a Generation Xer tries to figure out what has happened to the world around him.